The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, everybody. Russ from iHammers11. Hope you're safe and well. If you're new to the channel, please consider subscribing and hitting the bell icon. So you may have any time we put new content on. Today's guest... Um, Actually, I should probably change our logo. Let's change our logo. There we go. <laughs> John Rotovsky, you'd have known him um, very well. Um, we've become very good friends over the last uh, few months, really, since lockdown, really. Um, John looks after the, supports the uh, the Iron Supporting Food Banks group, which we'll talk about in a bit. Um, but until then, how are you, John? I'm all good, Russ. Really good. Uh, healthy, that's the main thing. But uh, really got to thank you, um a lot for inviting me on to um, my Hams Eleven. Of course, I'm going to put we'll put the uh, we'll put it all on there today. So we've got the got the just giving site. Um, so obviously, um, for the last few weeks, me and John have been doing um, uh, been working together on the uh, the sort of the the game shows and stuff like that. And um, obviously, in this weird time we're in at the moment, um, the stuff that the stuff that you guys are doing is is crucial more than ever. To be fair, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. When you think back that um, the last game we played was uh, the end of uh, February and until last week we've not been able to provide a single can uh, to the food bank uh, by ourselves. Uh, that's starting to change now where we've got some access to um, sort of frozen foods from um, a large warehouse in Liverpool. So um, we're able now to supply really decent quantities down into um, that new food bank uh, and also to other local food banks in um in Ilford and so on and also obviously the the fundraising has been tremendous and I've got to thank you Russ again for, for what you've done for the last five weeks or so in um, you know promoting what we're doing and uh, getting to the amazing amounts that uh, we've received to date. Yeah definitely I mean how, how did it all start John with, with the Iron Supporting Food Banks for you? Uh, for me it was a couple of years ago um, when we played the opening game um, at Anfield on that Sunday uh, mm. I think it was Pellegrini's first game. Yeah. And I went along and saw that um, fans supporting food banks were already active. Uh, they'd been going four years by that time. 
and it was just incredible to stand there and see that they had a van and people were coming roy evans the manager came as well with bags of food and it was so well established and i thought at this moment i thought well you know we've got over a million fans coming to to our stadium over a season and just a small percentage of that uh, would make a massive difference uh, to newham so i started making inquiries came across newham food bank and um we put plans in place and uh it was probably the back end of a year ago or so when we were able to talk with um, the various authorities that operate on site and at first it was through the council uh at newham and they said oh well um we don't operate this side you, you need to be you need to speak to lend lease because we wanted to be on endeavor square so uh when i phoned them well i sent them an email first and never got a reply so um phoned up later and said look i need to speak to someone about putting up uh, a collection point and they said well unless you give us a name we, we can't put you through and i thought right well look you've got an unanswered email from me yeah but if you don't give me a name you need to speak to we can't do anything and i thought oh crumbs you know where are we going anyway eventually i did get a reply from someone and when i told them where we wanted to collect they said well it's not us actually uh, you need to speak to lldc because mm. um, we'd actually moved the site by then to near where the um, information centre is on the main walk from Westfield to um, to stadium. Mm. So LRDC, they were brilliant. Uh, they really were. They said, yeah, we'll support you. We're happy to go through um, some plans with you about what you can do, what you can't. And then they said, well, of course, you realise that um, it's LS185 that actually operates the site on, on match days, not us. Right, okay, so then... I got in touch with them and they said, yeah, okay, we're happy to support you. Uh, need a health and safety assessment for all your volunteers and you need to wear high vis and all the rest. So they said to us, okay, uh, we'll give you a, a trial go, which was the Leicester game, um, Boxing Day, I think it was, uh, or just certainly between Christmas and New Year. And it, went, it was fantastic. Uh, Newham Food Bank turned up. They brought three or four volunteers. Uh, we had three or four there as well. And we collected... Some, well, over £500 on the day in cash. Uh, we just weren't expecting cash donations. We were looking for food and fair dues. The club promoted us as well on that day, and, and you know they mentioned that we'd be there and collecting. And uh, Met Police contacted us and said, we're coming. Um, how big's your van? <laughs> and so they turned up uh, with a massive collection full of food and carrier bags, wow. about a dozen bobbies that all came and said, you know, we were with you on it. And then the next game, the club came uh, and they came along with a dozen bags that they'd had a collection around uh, amongst the staff at the club. And certainly after the first game, they said, yeah, that's good. You're okay with it. Subject to any um, high-risk matches. Mm. Well, you know, we had West Brom in the cup to come and got knocked out after us and there were no big derbies left. So we basically ran it until, um, until the end of Feb. And we were starting to build up a good rapport. We had regular visitors coming, uh, dropping off bags of donations, and you start to get to know them a bit more. And we were averaging about 700 quid's worth per game of wow. um, value of food and cash donations. But because you don't realise this until you're there and you're standing there and you've got various people walking past it, not, not everyone's going to the football match. Um, and I remember one middle-aged lady walked past and we just chatted and said, you're off to the game? Oh, no, she said, uh, I'm off to the um, uh, to um, oh, the, the swimming area. Yeah. And yeah. Um, 
she, she said, uh, um, I'm going to classes with Tom Daly. Uh, I think it's a great idea that you're doing. I'm going to bring him out in future and then he can endorse you. So it's all little things like this to, to boost the, the profile of, of what we were doing. And it was going so well. And then Everton turned up, uh, brought massive bags of toilet rolls. Uh, Liverpool turned up. And we played Brighton in the league. And we'd been contacted in the week by a Brighton fan who had said, look, we don't have a football food bank in Brighton, but I'm going to bring some stuff from our family to you. So there was that was goodwill generated. Uh, Crystal Palace, they dropped a load of stuff off as well. Leicester did as well. So it was all starting to move. And then, of course, we hit the end of uh, or the beginning of March. Uh, the games were cancelled to, to the fans. And Dave Sullivan picked up on this as well. Uh, and he said, right, he said, I will cover you for the, the five games that you can't collect at. So he gave us £3,500 to the food bank, which was uh, you know, a great gesture. And really from then on, uh, it's been about raising the cash. Uh, we promoted the um, Newman's Food Bank uh, and had quite a few thousand pounds added to there. Then we set up our Just Giving. Uh, and as, as you've seen, I mean, as it stands now, I think we're on to £20,070, I think, as of today. And I spoke to the food bank today. I said, look, how are you fixed for, for food and so on? They said, yeah, we're needing to buy stuff now uh, from our reserves. Uh, donations are, are dropping uh, for food. And they've only got the three places where you can drop off food now. Um, there's uh, Tesco at um, Galley Bridge, the yep. uh, Asda at uh, Beckton, and uh, Waitrose at uh, Westfield. Uh, but because they're restricted with their own transport, they can't go to any more supermarkets to collect. Mm -hmm. So that, that's a bit of a problem that we're trying to resolve with them now. Yep. And hopefully there'll be some progress on that. Um, we've been very well supported by fans supporting food banks in, in Liverpool who started all this off. Uh, they now are supplying through football fans 30% of uh, Liverpool food bank requirements. And also Newcastle are very strong. They've raised £300,000 in three years for local food banks. So it's, um, it's gaining momentum all the time. Mm -hmm. Two Manchester clubs are on board now, Aston Villa, um, there's Huddersfield Town, Leeds United, Sheffield United, uh, and more and more are coming on board. And uh, you know, the, um, the well, demand is growing as well, so we've just got to be there for them. That's the thing, it's the demand more than anything, isn't it? It's great that the... Uh, it's it's great in a way that obviously the football fans are getting on, but obviously it's tragic the fact that so many football fans have to get on because the demand the demand for it is 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 so. It's like I remember one a couple of weeks ago you tweeting it was a Friday I think and they ran out of rice and stuff like yeah. that. It's 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 crazy and it's only it's still worse, the case. It? Yeah, it's still the case for us. They um, spoke to them today. They said we're short of tin meat, tin fish, small bags of rice, uh, tin tomatoes, uh, and tin soup because they're preparing for the winter and um, it's going to be a tough winter for us all. And I mean, obviously, uh, and, and you know, the, the fact that the Iron Spoon Food Bank's initiative isn't just necessary for the new room, as you said, you know, Ilford and stuff like that as well, and other sort of needed charities within the community, isn't it really? Yeah, yeah, it's just growing. It's incredible. You know, last week we had the facility to take a van load of frozen pizzas and clothes yeah. new clothes down to um uh, newham and to um to ilford uh and today uh, i've spoken to lou Macari's um homeless hostel 
that he runs in Stoke. And um, we were taking um, new clothes, again, bag loads of new clothes for the guys living there. Uh, and I've just had a message in the last hour or so to say um, there's a shed load of frozen Ben and Jerry's ice creams, plus frozen um, sausages and frozen bread. Come and get it if you want it. So I'm going to do a detour and load up the car with uh, with all, all that and drop it off to, to Lou's place. And so, you know, and when we come down next week, uh, next month, when we do this again, we'll look and do it monthly. Mm. Uh, again, we'll fill up the van with uh, whatever we can get and um, just keep it going. It's mental. It's crazy, isn't it, when you think of it? But, but I mean, as you said, I think, was it, didn't you say, was it 10 pounds feeds can feed a person for three days? On, on... Yeah, exactly so. And it, it, it's odd that the demand has grown so much this year at Newham, for example, because they were supplying... They were allowing people to come with vouchers to collect from them twice every six months. Mm. And they were giving every person two days amount of food. Then that went up to um, three visits. And then it went up to three days. And now it's presently they're giving food for seven days now for every person who's turning up at the food bank. And they just can't turn anybody away. No. It, it, it's just getting worse and worse. Yeah, and as you said, we're coming up to Christmas now and winter, and yeah. it doesn't look like doesn't like the end in sight in terms of COVID, and so yeah, it's gonna be um it's gonna be a tough a tough winter for a lot of people, and you know obviously you, you know every, and as we said you know when, when we when we did the started the, the sort of the, the just giving stuff, you know it, it's tough for everyone we know that um you know people furloughed and lost their jobs and stuff, but you know you got to think fucking hell you know when when someone's got to go to a food bank to to feed their family you know. It, we're fortunate enough that, you know, I've got a cupboard full of food, you know, and I'm not going to waste away, John, to be honest at the moment, <laughs> you know, me and my Friday kebabs. Um, <laughs> but it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's horrible when you think there's going to be like kids out there and not just the food, you've got to think your know, toys and stuff like that for Christmas. And, you know, I know collectively we're looking to do something as a sort of a West Ham YouTube community um, to sort of to carry over Christmas. But uh it's um it's it's horrible when you think of it like that you, mm. you know, it puts mm. into perspective um, yeah that's something else that's hard for Newham particularly also is that whilst we've got a lot of fans who um lived in the new area and moved out further into further east into essex but the community now in newham and um, when you speak 240 different languages and dialects in newham yeah, true, yeah. and the food bank is saying that they supply from six centers depending on each day of the week it's barking road um, Canning Town, uh, East Ham and so on. And the demands of the local people are different from one centre to the next food-wise. Mm. You know, there are particular kind of, there are families with particular habits of eating and so on. And they vary centre by centre. So it's, it's, it's such a variety of, of foods that they need. And I suppose to some degree we tend to think, you know, of Western food that we have. But, you know, that's not all that they need out there. No, you're right, and obviously, yeah, traditionally, the Western food is probably a bit ch is is cheaper as well, isn't it? Because it's 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 made yeah. in bulk and stuff, and you can go and buy, you know, got those how many tins of baked beans mm. or something. But it, but rice and and chickpeas and things like that tend to be more expensive because they have to be mm. imported and stuff. So, yeah, it's obviously the diversity of the of the of the community as well. But um, yeah, wow, I didn't think about how many different dialects and languages there are. God, that's mental. But uh, anyway, we, we, we're carrying on as, as you know, as we sort of alluded to last week. We're, we're going to keep the um, 
we're going for a second series of the game shows, <laughs> but maybe not every week, maybe every week. So I don't want people to get sick of me, but every other week we're going to try and do some stuff and at least, and things like this, obviously we're going to keep the promotion up. And obviously the, as I said, the wider West Ham YouTube community, we hopefully do something in sort of November time and stuff. We did originally try and tie it in for when the fans are going back, but obviously we know that's not happening now. So um, it is what it is. And we arrive with the punches and off we go. We'll be, it just breeds more creativity, doesn't it? So, um, yeah, so we'll do some stuff, a coordinated approach. Anyway, let's let's part the food bank stuff for the time being, because I want to talk about John, John the West Ham fan. So obviously we know you from the Iron Supporting Food Banks and all the great stuff you do, and you know the, the articles you write and these are brown and stuff like that. But John the West Ham fan, I, I detect not much of a, of a Cockney accent from you, John. To be honest. How, how did it start? Why are you a West Ham fan, most importantly? I, I, must, I must say I'm hurt. I thought I've been uh, <laughs> cultivating a, an East End accent over the last few years. But all right, I haven't fooled you. No, okay. I'm a Northerner. I was born in Chester, uh, live in Cheshire. And uh, why West Ham? Would be, the answer is Bobby Moore. Um, I started to get involved in football in the late 60s. And where I lived, it, it, was, it was either United or Liverpool who... Yeah. kids tended to follow uh, and in our house we only we only really knew um george best bobby charlton and of course bobby moore through the world cup and i think my mum at the time used to do the football pools um, and they used to send out these little brochures alongside about football when i was starting to get involved and looked at the the world cup winning team and you look around charlton's there and so on but oh hang on west ham got three players in 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 the England team, they must be good, <laughs> you know. So that was part of it, but also uh, I was tall for my age, so um, I played in defence. So it had to be Bobby Moore, mm -hmm. uh, and that's where it uh, where it came from. Yeah, and then obviously, you know, since since obviously the '66, do you remember your first game at Upton Park? How, how often did you get down to 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 the bowling during those sort of earlier period? It wasn't as frequent. No, um, my, my very very first trip to the bowling was when I was down in London. Uh, we used to spend some holidays, my sister and I, with my grandparents in France. So we'd have uh, four hours in London between getting into Euston and getting in the train out of um, uh, Victoria Station to, yeah. uh, to Dover. And my big sister was sat there reading the book and I thought, well, four hours here. I'm going to go to West Ham just to see it and to be there. So I said to her, look, I'll see you before we go. Um, I'm going to get a cab. So I went outside, stood in the cab, jumped in the back and said, take me to West Ham football ground, please. And the cabbie says, no, he says, you better, you better take the underground, mate. So I thought, all right, OK, first lesson in the big city. So I looked at the map and got there in the end, um, got to Upton Park and um, walking up Green Street, you see the floodlights and you think it's just great just to be there. You know, there's no game on. It was midweek. We'd probably gone back. It was probably July time. And so I went to the ground and just looked around and the, the big um, gates were open uh, on the corner of the West Stand and the, uh, what was the South Stand, at the South Bank at the time. And I sort of cautiously went in, approached it and came across a young groundsman. And so look, um, you know, I'm just passing through, this is my team, any chance of a look around? And he said, yeah, yeah, come on. So he took me down, we went in the dressing rooms, and at the time, I just remember that, that West Ham were very, um, 
I can put it, they always try, were trying new things. And I remember they had a strip of AstroTurf that you, you that the players ran on from the tunnel onto the pitch. And yeah. it was quite a novelty, so I saw that. And the guy takes me into the dressing rooms. And you go into the home dressing room, there's a white bra hanging on, <laughs> on the clothes hanging. What's <laughs> going on? But uh, no, fair dues. He took me around. And I only wish I had a camera at the time. But that made it for me just to be given that tour. Um, but uh, first uh, time I'd seen them was in September 71 um, at Old Trafford. And uh, we lost 4 2. Uh, I saw uh, Clyde Best score. Um, Trevor Brooking scored. Of course, Best scored the hat trick, and including that mazy run that he, uh, where he beat us at the scoreboard end. But it was just a fantastic feeling to to see the players in the flesh from the distance, and of course see Bobby Moore. Uh, and then a year later, I went to Everton. Uh, we lost there two one. Uh, you can get a coach from from Chester Town Hall for fifty p to walk to either Anfield or to Goodison, uh, and tickets were easy to come by. And I just went on there as a schoolboy and. Um, uh, saw us lose there, and I think the first trip uh, down to Upton Park was um, 75, I think. Uh, we played QPR, and we drew 2-2. Bobby had just left. Uh, Kevin Locke was there, you know, who was going to be the next Bobby Moore. He yeah. scored that day, I remember. And I think it was in the standing area at the front of the, the West Stand, from what I remember. But uh, again, you know, it's, it's all chilling to be there and uh, you know, to actually experience it and be amongst your own for the first time and it's one of those things irrespective of the fact that you weren't from around these parts as nigel Khan would say um it it doesn't matter does it doesn't matter and it's just that's what i love about west ham it's like it's just a sense of community and even more so since starting the channel and and doing and obviously doing the, the game shows and stuff you just realize how much everyone is pulling in the same direction um and it's lovely it's a sense of community i don't think any other club has I, I think I, you know i think i might be slightly biased towards it but you know when you get emails from tottenham fans and arsenal fans and chelsea fans already watch the channel because they don't have that sense of that sense of community and the fact that yeah. you know that you're like you're the first two games you mentioned we lost and it's like you know what i mean well, that's so, it. yeah, yeah it's, that's... Not, it's not about the result it's about you get sort of, used to it yeah it's special yeah. And you learn early on as well that um, you know the West Ham community is a special one. Uh, you know, being a Northern, not having daily access to what's going on, yeah. you, you become aware of the image that the club has, um, the way that the fans are. You know how special they are, the East End fans, the loyal, and, and so on. And as a Northern, that kind of makes you proud to know that you're supporting a team mm. with those beliefs and and yeah. and, and characteristics. Let's say. Totally. But talking about, you know, um, fans from all over the place, we very often, coming down on the train from Cheshire, from Crew, we're coming across um, uh, fans nearly all. We've got about 40, 40 on our WhatsApp group now from people who live in, from fans who live in Manchester, Liverpool, and very often on the tra same train back up north after a game. And then we've got um, Trans Pennine Irons with uh, yep. a couple of hundred members. So, um, you know, Liam keeps us informed with what's going on. And um, it's, again, that's another little community of, yeah. of Northerners following our team. Oh, it's mental. It's mental. It's like, as you said, you know, just by doing the, the donations thing, you know, we've we've had the Scandinavian hammers, the Singapore hammers, and the American hammers. It's, um, it, you know, it's something which I think I didn't, I wasn't so aware of 
of how big our, our brand, not our brand, I'm sorry, I don't mean to say it's wrong, how our club is, how, how the club is, you know, in, internationally. You know, I was always maybe quite insular and quite Essex and London based. But, you know, we, we've like, as you said, not just the guys in the north, but even northern and the Scandinavian hammers, they're 800, 1,000 strong as a group and the American hammers. And, you know, yeah. I've been fortunate enough to talk to the Indian hammers and, and the, the Singapore hammers. It's... Um, it's an amazing place. It's an amazing club. It really, really is. You know, the fan base is just second to none. Um, and and as you and then we've seen, you know, firsthand, you know, the the support that they they've they give they've given the food banks. You yeah. Know, particularly yeah, guys. Right. You know, when I think of like the Singapore Hammers, they don't live. They don't live near here. You know what I mean? You know, and, and it's for a charity that's not going to directly affect them. It's it's going to an area which they might never been to do you know what i mean but um yeah. because it's west ham they that they, they they sort of support that and it's it's amazing very humbling it's very humbling when that happens um i don't know it's just like yeah it makes you feel warm inside it's nice you know there's so much crap going on in the world um it's nice that you you we, we could we could do that and and, and make a difference mm. um but yeah anyway we get all sentimental i haven't had a drink <laughs> it's like it's like friday night at a pub and i'm just walking out i love you guys but uh, no it's all good it's all good um right let's let's go and talk about your 11 uh john because your hammer's 11 because obviously early 70s onwards you've got a nice spread you've got a nice spread of people to pick from the only rule is you have to be alive to see them play but to be perfectly honest john you've probably been alive to see most most of what i call the, the modern greats so I'm looking forward to sort of a classic 11 for you. Yeah, you're choosing your words very carefully there, Russ. I like that. (laughs) I say you're an experienced fan, John. That's what I call them, the experienced and the unexperienced fan. Okay. And you are very much an experienced fan. So you can play any formation you want, anything you want. Uh, The only rule is you have to be alive to a scene and play. And that's it. That's it. So um, I, I imagine, as I said, more of a classic eleven for you. I think some old, some old heads and a few maybe youngsters. I don't know. Oh, I don't know where yeah, you're going to go. Yeah, yeah. that's something yeah. quite interesting. All right. See right, my let's... team sheet here. Then. Yeah, you got your team sheet ready. All right, they're yeah. starting yeah. goal. They're starting goal, goal. Then, John. Uh, Ludo was very, very close. I've got to say, uh, I did admire Ludo. I did see him play. Um, one of my worst. Um, games to watch was at Tranmere Rovers where we lost 5-2 on a Friday night. I think Aldridge was playing for Tranmere at the time. Ludo was in goal. And I thought, oh, cringe, you know. Luckily, I only lived about 10 miles down the road at the time, so <laughs> it wasn't too bad. But sorry, sorry, Ludo. Uh, you'd be on, on the bench if that's any, um, any benefit. But it's got to be Phil Parks. It has to be Phil. I mean, remember when we signed Phil? And um, you just felt, certainly at the time, that um, the first division was very much a level playing field, really. You know, there were no foreign players. You, you, you knew who you were signing. Uh, and to sign Phil as the most expensive goalkeeper in the world, mm-hmm. I felt, well, that's a statement of intent by West Ham United, my club. And you feel really proud when, you know, they can they can make those signings like that. Because I, I think I read that... Um, Manchester United were looking to sign him as well, uh, but uh, he chose us and then gave us so many um, great memories. I mean, that for me, his period at the club was was my ideal time. We did so well, not always in Division One, but yeah. the Cup runs, Europe, um, 
the togetherness of the team. Um, and so many English players um, in that, you know, with maybe one or two exceptions at, at the time. But, uh, yeah, you always knew that we had a chance with, with big filling goals. So, yeah, yeah. Phil's my number one. Yeah, great, great shout. Uh, and a lovely bloke as well. Um, right, OK, Phil is in. Uh, what, what formation are we playing, John? Uh, four four two. Oh, classic. I like it. Okay, let's go left back then. Who have you got on the left? That's got to be Frank Lampard. Yeah. It's got to be. I mean, you know, Frank was the proper EastEnder. Uh, you could see how he related to the crowd. You know, he was he was one of the fans. Um, I'd seen him play a few times. The game I didn't see him play live was obviously the, the winning goal in the FA Cup semi-final against Everton when he did the corner flag jig. Mm which I think he'll be remembered for. But again, you know, he became an in, in England international. Um, he was solid and, um, and dependable. Uh, the, the time I felt sorry for him was when we played in the um, 76 uh, Winners' Cup final, when I think he got injured in the first half uh, and Anderlecht scored. Um, and I just remember, he, you know, he was injured in that game and I think that affected the team. Um, because before that, certainly in the first half, we'd given a good account. But uh, I think his injury at that time um, shook us and obviously we lost the game. Yeah. And I think we've, and I've said it before, I think when we, when we, when we talk about, when we talk about the greats, um, the West Ham greats, Lampard's always never in the, in the wash, it seems. You know what I mean? It's always more Peters Hurst and, uh, and Billy Bonds and, 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 doing this channel i just think that you know we don't he doesn't get the accolades that, that he deserves and obviously yeah part of the reason is because of his his son and everything that went on before you know with, with harry and stuff but i just think he he deserves so much more recognition within the club um, yeah as, as a player he was one of our mr dependables yeah you know how many games have he played um Six hundred and I'll tell you now because I've got it written down here. Oh, um, yeah, six hundred and sixty. Wow, including the cups. So, um, yeah, uh, always a pleasure to see him there. Yeah, it just seems that it just, yeah, like I said it's always, I, 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 you know, I just think it's it's a tragedy, really, when someone you know, you, you know, you think how how much Billy's revered and, and Bobby and stuff like that, and you know, he. He was, I think, he was second. Is he second all-time appearance holder after Billy or something like that? He's up one. Of, he's up the top three. I think, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um. But anyway, anyway, he's in your team. That's the main yeah. thing, John. Right. Okay. Let's go to the other side. Let's go to the right back. Who we should have from right back? Oh, it's got to be Tonka. Yeah. Really, you know, Ray Stewart. Um, I remember when we signed him, and again, I think he was the most expensive teenager at the time when we signed him from Scotland. Yeah. And uh, there he was. I think he went into the team after a couple of months. And another Mr. Dependable mm. um, from the penalty spot as well. Um, I saw him miss his first penalty. Um, we were playing at uh, in Division Two, I think, at uh, Luton Town, um, and it was um, it was 29th of February, 1980. I don't remember that date specifically. And um, we got a penalty. He shot the goal. He saved it. But he got the rebound, so uh, <laughs> that was great. And again, that that team from 1980 and so on was just magical. Really, really was. It was such a togetherness. And um, I met him three times 
Um, the first time was a book signing at uh, Upton Park. There was, I think it was the boys of 86, he was there signing. And I said to him, look, we signed this for my nephew in Scotland, um, Peter Rotomsky. And he was struggling with my surname. And he, and he, he, he said, I can't write it, I'm really sorry. Uh, I'll just have to put his first name. And he wrote Andy. And I think he was perhaps signing Andy to everyone. You know, I don't know, but uh, that's the way he was. And then um, I think he did one of those uh, dinners, um, yeah. Friday night dinners as well with, with Sir Trevor uh, when he brought the FA Cup last season. And I got my picture taken with him. And uh, even then I still couldn't understand what he was saying. And he still can't understand but, what he's Yeah, saying. but what a, what a penalty taker. And, yeah. um, you know, again, solid, uh, solid defender. And again, as you said, you can't understand what he's saying, but he's just a really, really nice bloke, you know. And that's uh, and there's, I think, all that sort of era, all those players are just nice blokes as well. So it's like, you know, I, I've been obviously very fortunate enough to interview a lot of them recently. And I mean, Ray, bless him. We haven't got him on the channel yet. He'll be on the channel soon, but we've got to do it when we can do it face to face because he doesn't like doing all this. All oh, right, this okay. Zoom, all this Zoom stuff, yeah. bless him. Yeah, we'll get um, the subtitles on then. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, I don't know how I'm gonna do that one, but we'll see. Um, <laughs> but bless him, he phoned me to say I'm not ignoring you, Russ, and you know, told me the reasons. I was like, oh, don't worry. And and then we must have talked talk about West Ham for about an hour and a half. I've never met the man before, um, but he gave me an hour and a half his time, and. Uh, then he said, oh, actually, Russ, I've got to go now because my tea bags have just dried on the drying line. So um, <laughs> it's obviously his stock line to leave every phone call. Yeah, but, um, yeah, 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 we know what it's like. All right, we'll put, we'll put Ray in, put Tonks in. Right, we'll go centre-back. So who's your first centre-back? Uh, stretch, Alvin. Yeah. yeah, he's got to be there. I mean, again, he's done, he's done the years with the club. Uh, loyal, loyal servant, England international. Um, yeah, another one of the, the Mr. West Ham dependables. Um, again, I think he played nearly 600 games too. Something like that, yeah. Um, I saw him in his first season that played at Old Trafford. It was the season he went down and he was quite raw then. He'd only just made the team, I think perhaps through injury. And we played again at Manchester United. We lost 2-0. I remember the second goal was a penalty that uh, he let uh, Stuart Pearson get away from him and grabbed him and pulled him down in the box. And uh, we lost that one 2-0. I'm, I'm sure they spoke about that later on when um, Pancho signed yeah. for us. But he, he was very raw. But even then, you know, they talked about him. Uh, and there he is, you know, 10 years or so later, uh, still at the club, plus the, you know, the hat-trick he got and, and against Newcastle and all the rest. And that's gone down in folklore. Yeah. And again, you know, he's just, you know, he just again not necessarily wrapped from round these parts, but um, you know, he's very much an adopted Cockney, um, still lives in the area, um, and you know, nowadays, you know, you look at you know, obviously Mr. Noble and stuff, and how much, how many times, how many games he's played for us, and how long he's been at the club, you know, Alvin double testimonial, you know, and I think you know, it's just, I just think he's brilliant, and um. And yeah, no, it's just, it's not much more you can say about him, is it? Again, he's yeah, another one exactly. who needs to be revered. And obviously seeing the seeing him and David, and obviously David being there, it's it's nice because, you know, you can see that Alvin's living, you know, not only is his son playing Premier League football, obviously that Chelsea game famously, but with, um, it's his son as well, and it's his club as well. It's like, it just makes you feel warm inside knowing that. But uh, we'll put Stretch in. 
Uh, and who's Stretch going to partner? In oh, well, Sir Bobby. Yeah. Sir Bobby. I've seen him play twice. Well. And uh, what else can you say about the man? You know, he could have been better looked after towards the end. But um, what an ambassador and the way he carried himself. Yeah. And uh, I did get the chance to meet him um, one time um, in the mid-80s. Um, my old mum used to do the work in the boardroom at uh, Chester Football Club where we lived, and she used to do the teas in, say, in the boardroom. And after a while, she said, look, you want to come along and uh, watch the game? So I said, yeah, and I was still a schoolboy then. And I ended up going from being the ball boy to running, out, running the dressing rooms during the game. So I was the one that put the plug in, turned the taps to the big bass and all the rest. And I did that for 17 years. And uh, saw some top teams turn up these Newcastle and Cup games, Watford came with Elton John and all the rest. And then in the 80s, of course, Bobby had gone on to manage Southend United for a while. Yeah. And uh, it just hadn't clicked with me. Again, there just wasn't the information that was flowing around in, in you know, no internet. Uh, you just didn't realise, and um, so Bobby was there with, with South End, and it was the back end of the season, a couple of games left, and um, it was second half was just starting of the game, and I used to have to rinse the teacups, and I always did the away uh, dressing rooms first, and I walked up the corridor, and who comes out of the away dressing room but Bobby, and wow. I'd never seen him so close. The man was immense. He was a giant. Uh, he was wearing this green tracksuit. Just and he had a certain way of walking, didn't he? You know, yeah. he was very distinguished. And he's walking down towards me. There's nobody else in the corridor. I'm walking towards him, and my mouth just dried up, and I just couldn't say to him, "Bobby, you're the reason why I support West Ham." And I, I couldn't get a word out. Just yeah. as he he went past me, he kind of winked and grinned and I thought okay that'll do for me yeah uh, we yeah. never spoke but at least he acknowledged me and uh you know that's one of the memories wow. that, uh, I wish I could have been different but even that itself was uh, was special for me it was enough yeah yeah what fantastic memory it's like as you said so fortunate to to have well met the man and you know cross paths of him you know it's uh, yeah literally yeah 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 that's amazing okay we'll put Sir Bobby in Right, okay, let's go into midfield. Um, right. Let's go Let's go left midfield, left wing. Who have we got on the left? Uh, left wing? Oh, Alan Devonshire. Yeah. Alan, for me, uh, incredible. Um, again, I was glad to see him play. Um, when West Ham played in the North West, it was very much easier for me to get to games. Of course, yeah. Um, we used to see him at Tranmere, the Manchester clubs in Liverpool and Blackburn and so on. And he... We played a few times at, at Wrexham in uh, the old second division. And for me, he scored one day the best goal I've ever seen in the flesh. Um, I think we, sure, we didn't lose. But it was um, Phil Parks got the ball, threw it out to, to Devo, who was in his own half on the left wing. And he then starts to run towards the Wrexham goal. And we were all behind the goal in the upper tier in, in the Wrexham end. And he starts weaving towards us and we're all shouting, go on, go on, keep going. And he beats two defenders, uh, then gets into the box, beats another two. Di Davis was in goal and slipped it in the net. We just went ballistic at the West Ham end. It's fantastic. Uh, best goal, as I say, I've seen it. it if 
if you haven't seen it, it's similar to the one that Payet scored in the cup at oh, wow. uh, Blackburn that time, you know, when he ran the full length of the yeah, pitch yeah, and yeah. Uh, dribbled around it. It was a similar goal to that. And uh, that was just a fantastic moment to see that. Oh, brilliant. And, and anyway, what a... Again, you know, it's, it's really sort of saying that, you know, saying, repeating myself, but he's just a top bloke, absolute top bloke. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. really fortunate enough to, to spend some time with him. And, you know, and, and again, that's like all of these lot, all these generation, you know, when they, when you chat to them, it's like, it's like you're their best mate. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like, you know, and it's, it's so genuine when you talk to them. It's not like you feel that they're, they're talking to you for talking to you's sake, because, you know, you've, you've asked for, you know, as I said, me and, me and Dev must have chatted for about an hour before and an hour after the, our episode, just putting the world of football to right. And it's just amazing. And he couldn't work out how to do this, how to do all this, but um, his wife had to do it, but uh, still he's a, a top bloke. And, um, you know, he has to be put down as one of the, greatest transfers ever in english mm. football yeah, um, yeah. Just, just into what would he be worth in today's money do you know what i mean you know it's, it's, yeah it's, you couldn't get the ball off his feet at all he yeah. was just it was as if it was a magnet and uh, it was great to see those mazy dribbles and uh yeah. you know he looked so light as well i don't know how tall he is but certainly he was very slight in build but mm. it didn't work against him no, 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 exactly. Right, Devo is in. Let, let's let's go right, right midfield. Let's go the other side. Right, okay. Side. Um, I've got their um, oh, Dimitri Payet. Yeah. Of course, I had to go with him. Um, you know, not not a classic from years gone by, but you know, when he signed for us, we were living the dream when we saw what he could do. Remember his his first game. I saw was at um, Southend United in a pre-season yeah, friendly. friendly and I remember seeing him he got his first touch and he started going on this major run and I think all of us fans saw what skills he had even then and thought wow if he can do this in the Premier League we've got a winner here yeah. and I think even in that game he, he might have been he might have scored with with one of his famous free kicks in that I, I think, think I'm so, not yeah. sure I think but uh, after that game, we were all thinking, wow, what have we got here? Yeah. And then, of course, you know, for that season, we, we were all living the dream. The song, the free kicks, you know, the one at, um, the one at Crystal Palace uh, where, he, where he shot into the, the Trevor Brooking stand, where it just dipped at the last second. Everyone thought it was going over. And uh, there it went, dipped in. And then the one at Old Trafford in the Cup, that one that no one expected and uh in his last season the Macy run at home against I think it was Middlesbrough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Picked up the ball on the touchline and just that Macy run and uh it's just a shame that he, he couldn't hang on with us, but you know, there are reasons there that we'll, we'll never know, I guess. Yeah. But I mean he's he's it doesn't very rarely in particular modern West Ham history that we have a player who we sign at the right time. Do you know what I mean? We yeah. always seem to get players who are bookending their career, whether they yeah. just, or, you know, we, we get, you know, Jeremy Ngakia or we get Teddy Sheringham, you know, we never get sort of ones who are in their plum and, you know, to all accounts, obviously he's still playing fantastically in Marseille, but yeah. that, that sort of two, that season off, he was, he was bang on and um, he was, he was the man, wasn't he? Every club wanted him. All yeah. my friends who were not West Ham fans were desperate 
that to have him. And actually, someone sent me a an Instagram like story the other day. I'm gonna find it, and it's something like he has the most. He has the most. Um, like it still has the most assists in the Premier League or something ridiculous. It was like nine hundred and something. I'm gonna to have to find it now because it's gonna really annoy me. Well, typically ah. I'm gonna find it now. But it was something. It was like a stat, and it was he, they, he was top of something of of, of mm. chances created in the last decade or something like that. And and he was top. And um, he was just a, he was, you know, I don't think I will, personally I'll ever see a Ballon d'Or nominee wear a West Ham shirt. Yeah, again, exactly. you know what I mean. It's yeah. You never know. I'll say never. You never know. But um, I just think it was. It was you said. It was everything. It doesn't happen at all for West Ham that the stars aligned, and that season the stars just all aligned with the right player, the right manager, and it was the last season, and it just all worked well. You know, yeah. you could have a couple more wins, and we would have obviously got into Europe, Champions League, whatever. But it was it was just a perfect season, you know, a fantastic season to see off the old girl. Um, and it, it helped him get back in the French national team as well with the performances. You know, he used us as a stepping stone for the right reason, I would say. But yeah. it was a fantastic time when he was there. I was so sad to see him go. Yeah, yeah, I was as well. But and you sort of get that with those mercurial players, don't you? You know, they sort of they sort of throw their toys out the pram and. You know, and, and again, that's how he he joined us, doing the same thing. He, he you know, he, he went on strike in Marseille, and they opened him, welcomed him back with open arms. You know, that's how much of they revered him. But um, yeah, yeah, Dimmy Pyatt's him. Okay, let's go central midfield. Who's your first central midfielder? I'll be interested about this. Really, mm. Billy Barnes. Yeah, got to be really. What a man, you know, Mister West Ham. Mr. Reliable, Mr. Fitness, you know, playing until he was 42, I think, or nearly 42. But, you know, what can you say? You can just carry on talking and talking. But such a gent as well, you know. Um, he seems to be a quiet man. Um, but I remember seeing the 1980 um, Cup team um, at a West Ham evening a year or two ago and he was, he was on there and they were all telling stories about each other. And you could see the... The togetherness of, of, of that group of players from you know, 1980 and a couple of years before and after and so on, it was it was fantastic to see. And uh, I think, you know, we're lucky that we've had somebody like that um, as part of West Ham's history. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And obviously when when he had the stand named after him as well, you know, that was a incredibly emotional day that was. And, um, and for a man who didn't show any emotion... Um, I, I mean, obviously, I never saw him play. I saw him manage, and even when we went up in that ninety-two, ninety-three season, he was excited, but there wasn't like tears of joy, like you know, breaking down the tears like he did, you know, that Newcastle game. We named the stand after him, mm. and um, yeah, it was uh, again, you know, same, you know, obviously there was a period where the, he wasn't particularly well treated by the club, um, but they made right with that. They made right with yeah. that. And I think it yeah. was. Uh, well deserved, and you can see the respect that the fans and the and his peers had with had for him because obviously that was they were all there, which was beautiful. Um, okay, big bills in. Um, who is he going to partner in that middle? So Trev, it has to be again. You know, uh, I'm glad to have seen him play. Um, I remember when he was making the 
his debuts in the team, I think, in the late eight, late um, late sixties, I think, and you know he was there and about all the time for so long. And again, like Bill, what else is there to say that he was so dependable? Again, he had the skills. Uh, there were the famous European nights in um, in the seventies, and uh, it was great that he was a part of it, and he made such a difference. And you look at some of those old clips of the goals. That he scored at Upton Park, the Maisie runs, the shots, and um, the time gone by, but, but greatly remembered. And uh, he's yeah. got to be in my eleven. Yeah, and and again, it's like something which I, I I never really probably thought about until starting to do this. And obviously, because people mention players and they go and do a little bit not research afterwards, but I'll go and look at the old footage. You know, I I, I think people forget how crap the pitches were as well. And you had like yeah. people like Dev, people like Brookin, and they talk about how elegant the players are and how they glide past players. They were doing this on like minefields, you know, complete yeah. bogs yeah. of pitches. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, could you imagine someone like Dev on the bowling green of London stadiums, you know, like, you know, what, what could they do? But interesting, the vice versa, I'd love to see Messi having a go at that Stamford bridge pitch where we bomb four nil, you know what I mean? All the like more yeah. sand than grass, but um, yeah, it's incredible when you think about it, um, uh, particularly nowadays. And obviously the, you know, the, the balls were different, were heavier and the boots, you know, there weren't these sort of, you know, light as a feather things they're all sort of quite clumpy and mm, still yeah, yeah. beautiful beautiful football um right we'll put sir trev in up front who's your first who's your first forward then john first one for me again because i was lucky enough to see him play so often was a psycho david cross yeah um you know for me i, I think personally for me it was great to see a hard northerner playing in the west ham team you know certainly when West Ham used to play up north. I remember seeing him play at Manchester City. And, uh, yeah, it was great to see that, you know, we had someone who could dish it out as well. And, obviously, his performance in the cup final. Um, and, you know, as you just mentioned now, the 4-0. And um, the other thing is it's uh, it's 40 years today since he scored the hat-trick against Castilla uh, in the cup. That was the uh, that was the one played behind closed doors, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. So yeah, yeah that's the anniversary today, apparently. Oh wow! Was that our biggest European victory ever? I think or something uh, aggregate. Was it, was it five one after all? I can't remember what it was. But uh, it was five one. one, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think it was our but highest the, ever. But the first of so many cracking games during that season in Europe. You know, the one against the Germans and so on. And when we were down and then I think it was the Dutch. And it was just a shame to lose against Anderlecht in, in those circumstances. We gave them a good go. But, uh, you know, again, it wasn't to be. Yeah. And, and you know, I think... And and, and obviously we've interviewed Crossy and he, um, he, he attributes all of his success to the West Ham fans. That's what he says. He's like, I, you know, I, when I turned up, I didn't think I was going to be good enough. And the fans gave me so much confidence that, you know, he was always, always felt like he had to repay the fans because um, they they made him uh, the player he was. And I was like, oh, bless him. Yeah. And he played for something like seven or eight clubs. Yeah. But I didn't realise that he played most of his games with us because mm. he was such a journeyman with West Brom and Coventry and wherever else. And he started off at Rochdale. 
But yeah, most of his uh, games were with West Ham. Yeah, exactly. All right, Psycho, the original Psycho. Um, yeah. And who's the last person, John? Who's the last? It's got to be Paolo. Has to be yeah. Paolo Di Canio. You know, again, I was glad to see him play some of the trickery. Um, <laughs> he, you know, he made that dressing room as well in some ways with the way he was so unpredictable. Um, I remember seeing him play. Um, he beat Leicester City. He scored the winner uh, at home. And then, of course, the season we went down, he scored that goal against Chelsea at home right towards the end. And we, we felt we were close to having a chance of staying up. Yeah. Um, yeah. And again, I think Sky did a little documentary on him a week or two ago, just half hour of all of his goals. And it was just fantastic to see them again. You, you felt as if he'd, he'd just taken one touch too, too much or he was about to fall. But the way he was able to get his foot around the, around the ball and, and score it back the net, it was, it was incredible. And always I noticed that he always pulled his shirt up uh, to cover his around the back of his head, I think it was. But that was something we did all the time. But, uh, oh, what a fantastic guy. Oh. Uh, and what a complex character. But, you know, we got some good years out of Paolo. Oh, we did. We did. He was just like, what I loved about him, he was just like an, inter obviously we go to football to be entertained, don't we? Of course we go yeah. to see fantastic skill and, and someone like Payet, I think Payet was the most technical gifted player I've ever seen at West Ham. But someone like Paolo, I always put him down as my favourite player because he had that that entertainment value. You know, you'd you would pay your season ticket just to see him, you know, and it's like you would turn up thinking, not, how West Ham going to do? What's Paolo going to do this week? Yeah, yeah, and it, exactly. And it might yeah. be a bit of skill. It might be a, a tantrum. It might be, I don't know. Like I was watching that Bradford City game the other day again, oh, and, yeah. and 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 like him on the on the touch, he's sitting on the floor, like you know, sub me, take me off, take me off. And then the song, and it was almost like he was re-energized, and he sort of like you know grew and grew and then he was ready ready to play and um oh he's brilliant and we've heard some some cracking stories about paolo you know with fans when they've met him and stuff and just how he's been with them and he, he's just like you know he's just a brilliant person you know the fact that you know i, I mean i have utmost respect because he's got a west ham tattoo because i'm so phobic of needles i you know i i passed out on my bcg test um you know so so i i hate needles so anyone's got a tattoo i've got in higher regard and particularly to have a west ham tattoo also for not being around these parts um brilliant yeah, man of course I think he's great yeah absolutely he just got the fans and they just got him do you know what i mean yeah it's we talked to him yeah, really, really took to him. And, you know, as I said, you know, in the same way that, you know, we only got him because he pushed over a referee. Do you know? Yeah, <laughs> you know took, I mean? Harry like, took a punt, didn't he? he did. You know, he, he took a chance, yeah. And as, he, and, and as Harry's own omission when we interviewed him, he was he was unmanageable. Um, <laughs> he, he just didn't manage Paolo. He just let him just be. And uh, you just had that sense of him. But uh, some funny stories, uh, yeah. And also, you know, a bit like you start, I mean, you started with Phil Parks and the Cossack adverts and you end with Paolo Di Canio and the Imperial Lever adverts. So there's, yeah. you know, there's, there's a lineage there. But, uh, John, man, it's been, it's been lovely. It's been lovely. Enjoy chatting, Russ, really. It's been great. Yeah, it's been really, really good. And obviously everyone, justgiving.com slash crowdfunding slash iron supporting food baits. Make sure you keep, Thank you. you know, Thanks. rather than, you know, we're, um, you know, the pubs are shut at 10 o'clock. So, you know, rather than that last pint, give it to someone else who could need it. And um, yeah. 
and obviously we'll still be doing the uh, the quiz shows and stuff like that as well to keep it keep it momentum going but uh obviously thank you. thank you for everything you're doing john and um that that's it for me and john uh take care everyone stay safe that's very important at the moment uh come on you irons and we'll come see you irons. again oh john goes for the, the the top one the top one we'll do that one together come on you irons and we'll see you again very very soon take care sports social podcast network with the lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere this is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.